Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Going to go right out to the Raider Nation guest line. Welcome in a good friend of mine, colleague that covers the Raiders. Uh, he covers the Raiders for uh, ESPN. Of course, we're talking about Paul Gutierrez at P. Gutierrez ESPN. And Paul uh, wrote a piece, I think it, it was posted on Friday, um, sort of give, laying out all the options for one Derek Carr, uh, the Raiders quarterback. We all know he's going into the last year uh, of his contract. It's not guaranteed. Uh, making just under $20 million. So what do you do with Derek Carr? Do you re-sign him? Uh, do you trade him? Do you uh, let him play next year uh, on the on, on the current deal and wait and see? All types of things are on the table. And Paul took a look at all of those things. First of all, Paul, thanks for joining us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? Good, Vinny. Good, man. I, uh, you know, I think Adam Hill was the one that when I posted the story <laughs> on Friday, he said, uh, "R.I.P. Your mentions," and he wasn't lying, man. I mean, <laughs> I kind of laughed when I when I when I tweeted it out, and I said, "You know, ducks for cover." And um, you know, I've been covering this team in one fashion or another since 2005. Uh, I've been going to Raider games when they were in L.A. '88, and there has never been, in my opinion, and I've told you this before, uh, a more polarizing player. Than, than Derek Carr. And I mean that in terms of people either love him or they loathe him. And there's really no in-between. And, and people either want to give him, uh, you know, the moon or they want to cut him. It, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's amazing. It's, it's intriguing. And as you know, being a, being a journalist, being a reporter, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. So that's all I try to do was just say, look, the Raiders and Derek Carr have come to a fork in the road. Which way do they go? And what I thought was interesting about what I did, if I pat myself on the back a little here, is, is use Derek's own words to try to describe each path and each road they can go on and how it's kind of been set up by him along the way as well. Now, now a lot of things have happened, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, over the past calendar year. Yes. But uh, it's, it's still, again, one of the most intriguing situations for the most polarizing player in franchises. Yeah, and uh, to piggyback on that, and I saw Adam's uh, Adam's retweet, and uh, I've learned you can't take, like, like, it comes at you in all angles, and as a personal story, I, I wrote a story about Derek uh, and uh, his his uh, you know he's 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 a he's a preacher, and you know he's yeah. very proud of that and very active in it. And so I wrote a story about how he's growing as a as a preacher and some of the things that he's doing. And there was one tweet retweet that said something along the lines of less less preaching, more winning. And it's like, oh my gosh! I mean, you know, you can't leave. It's it's just like one or the other, like you said, and you just have yeah. to be prepared for it. Whatever you re- you write, but let me ask you this, Paul. Um, I, I, I read the story. It was a great piece, and it, it laid everything out beautifully. I did like how you used uh, Derek's words uh, as well to sort of back up every uh, premise. Um, and I've put myself in, in these shoes, and I'm now going to put yourself, you, uh, in these shoes. What would you do? What would Paul Gutierrez do uh, if you were faced with the question that is facing uh, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, and really Derek Carr as well? I, well, if, I, if I'm the Raider, if I'm Derek, I want, I want it all, right? I, I, I show them, look at everything that we went through last year. Look at what we did. Look what we accomplished. Look at all the comeback wins we had. Um, I deserve to be uh, better than market value, okay? So that's, if I'm Derek, that's what I do. And I don't blame him for, for doing that if that's what he wants to do. If I'm the Raiders, I take a step back and go, okay, let's pump the brakes here. We, we went through this already in 2017 when we took care of Derek, when we took care of, 
you know, I say we because I'm speaking as the Raiders. Of I'm course. not part of the team by any No, case. no, I hear you. So that, lest anybody gets confused. You know, if we're the Raiders, we're the Raiders. We took care of Derek. We took care of Gabe Jackson. We took care of Jelly Ellis. We took care of, of even Seth Roberts. And uh, we'll just put Khalil Mack on the back burner. We think he's the guy that he thinks that we think he is. He's going to come in and honor that last year of his contract. Well, it didn't work out. And, uh, you know, the jury really kind of still is out on that trade. Uh, you know, Khalil got what he wanted. The Raiders got what they wanted. They didn't really use the traffic all that well, at least by now. But we'll figure that out as we go on the road. If I'm the Raiders, I say, okay, look, this $19.8 million, let's guarantee it. Right here and now, you're guaranteed. You're going to make that. And let's just come in and you play on that contract. It's, it's kind of a tryout deal with each other. And you hate to use that phrase because the guy is an eight-year veteran. He, he deserves better than trying out. But it's, 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 it works for both parties in that Derek gets to get a feel for this offense and does he like it or not. Uh, the new regime, the Patriot Way regime, gets to figure out if they like working with Derek Carr. You guarantee him that money. And at, by doing that, you also have money to go out there and, and uh, re-up Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro, who need extensions as well because they weren't first-round picks, so they don't have options. Um, and beyond that, you just try to keep the ball rolling and say, okay, Derek, if, if you're the guy that we think you are and you've said it's not about money, all you want to do is win, um, you don't need worldly goals, so to speak, do this. And then we'll figure it out after that. And even if we still can't figure out a long-term deal, then there's your $35 million to $40 million is waiting in terms of a franchise tag after that. Now, I know that's a lot easier for me to say, speaking as the Raiders and speaking for Derek, but that to me is the most logical. And we all know that when we're talking about the NFL, when we're talking about business and we're talking about professional athletes, throw logic out the window, right? And we're so talking about to the me, quarterback. <laughs> exactly. So that to me is where I would... If I was in the Raiders' shoes, that's the avenue I would pursue. Simply because, yeah, Derek is a solid top 12 quarterback in the NFL, and there's always been something that's befallen him uh, over the past five years. If it's not him breaking his ankle, it's the, the national anthem, uh, the protest during the anthem. It's uh, breaking his back, breaking his pinky. It's receivers tuning him out. It's it's uh, got, you know, the coach shooting racist emails, coming back to bite him. It's Henry Rooks. It's everything else. It's a terrible offensive line rebuilt on the fly. This at least gives you one year to try to figure out if this works or not, and you guarantee him that 19.8. Would you, you kind of go from there? If you're the Raiders, would you be worried? Um, uh, how, how concerned would you be uh, if, if he has a great season, which would be a great thing, obviously, for them? That, that, that wouldn't be the, the worry, but... Uh, right. You know, three or four other quarterbacks resign with their current team, which drives which, which drives it up. And so, where you could have gotten them here, now all of a sudden the conversation is, is up here. Do you do you feel like you've run the risk at all of running into that problem? Yeah, but that that's the risk of of running a pro football team, right? Is that the market is always going to go up? And I've seen, and there's people that have mentioned to me, well, well, Derek took a team friendly deal in 2017 to stay with the team to show what a team guy he was. I'm like, okay, maybe, but. You guys are still forgetting that when he signed that five-year 125, that at the time for a two-month span until Matthew Stafford signed was the richest contract in NFL history. So whether it was a team-friendly deal or not, that's the cost of doing business. So from the Raider perspective, yeah, you have to factor that in in the budget down the road. But if you take care of him now and you take care of Hunter Renfro and you take care of uh, – of uh, Max Crosby, then you have that budget down the road, especially since now you would have been playing at least two years in front of fans at Allegiant Stadium. 
And again, just the cost of doing business. At forty million a year, well, if that's the market, that's the market. We're talking to Paul Gutierrez, who covers the Raiders for ESPN and does a tremendous job of it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Matthew Stafford because what did we learn from that situation? Where he was in Detroit, um, I, as it turns out, it wasn't his fault uh, whatsoever. What was going on in Detroit, uh, right. or you know, uh, the most of the blame didn't fall uh, on him. He gets a great situation in Los Angeles. He goes to the Super Bowl uh, and he helps a team win the Super Bowl. Are there lessons to be learned about Matthew Stafford's journey uh, and and Derek Carr? Like what might be possible here? I'm not saying the Raiders are going to go win the Super Bowl, but uh, right. there's more left for Derek Carr. There's higher uh, a higher ceiling for him and the team if the team gets right around him. It's interesting because those are the two guys that, uh, you know, NFL insiders compare the most to, right? It's yeah. like, well, we'll look at Derek. You look at Matthew. And why, do, why does Derek get criticized when Stafford doesn't? I guess from my perspective, what I learned about Stafford was um, if you're going to be taking photographs of him at a Super Bowl celebration, don't fall off the stage because oh. he's not going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and don't be that person that falls off and don't have to go back and clean up your Twitter timeline. But that I too. <laughs> Um, it's, yeah, I mean, you surround them, but, but that's the thing is it, it's, it's what, what's the thing? It's six in one hand, half a dozen yeah, in the right. other. I mean, you surround him with enough talent, you're going to get it done. But then again, that's the price. That's, that's the cost of success. He's one of the higher paid quarterbacks. Okay, great. You want a Super Bowl, but did they really win the Super Bowl because of him or did they win it in spite of him? Because there was a couple throws he left on the field and there was, a couple of deep balls where he was picked off, like, ooh, he doesn't have that arm strength anymore. Nobody's questioning Derek's arm strength. It's just kind of the decision-making and things like that. So if you have to surround a, you know, for example, I'm not talking bad about Derek at all, uh, if you have to surround Derek with a super team, then what's the point? You know what I mean? Then go get Jimmy Garoppolo for a third of that price. Go see if Tom Brady wants to come in for one last hurrah with an offense he knows intimately. Uh, Hoyer knows this offense. I'm not saying they should go do this. I, I dropped those names in there just to see, uh, you know, to, to kick the can down the road a little bit more. Right. But it, it's interesting to me that, you know, and I hate to use the word excuse because, you know, last year heading into the season, I wrote an article saying there's finally no more excuses for Derek, which I got pushback from, from people in his camp that said he's never made an excuse. And I said, you're right. Publicly he hasn't, but they've always been there. His, whether it was his doing or not, uh, you know, whether it was an offensive line, whether it was Crabtree or Coop getting traded or Gruden coming in or, or whatever it was, there was always something. Last year, there was a litany of somethings, right? So that's why, to me, it makes the most sense to just do this one-year thing, have him play out his contract with the, the, the carrot dangling, I guess, of the franchise tag of 35 to $40 million. And if not, then that's where you get the big money at the end of that, too, if he does have a great season. Very true. And you, uh, learn, and you learn from what Stafford just was able to do. He was, I don't know if he was a game manager, because I'll tell you, Vinny, there were times I, I did watch, and I didn't watch a lot of Rams. I'm not as, as familiar with the Rams as you are, per se. I'm, I'm the Vince Ferragamo vintage Rams, right? <laughs> there and, you go. and those guys. But I, um, I was not all that impressed. I mean, I, you know, the games I did watch, the Super Bowl, obviously, um, the Titans game where he threw that, that Jimmy G-type interception <laughs> right there at yep. the goal line. There's a lot of things that he left on the field. But he had OBJ. He had other guys that were doing things. So I don't know. It's 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 a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It is, and you know, we we talk about wins. Um, you know, it, it is all about wins, and and we'd be naive if we didn't believe that was the case. Uh, and so quarterbacks, right or wrong, are going to be judged 
by that statistic. When we look at last year, no John Gruden, Henry Rugg situation. Darren Waller was out for five weeks, um, you know, uh, straight uh, in a critical point uh, of the season. The offensive line was, you know, it was, it was suspect all season long. When we look at some of those excuses, quote-unquote, and yet they right. did reel off four straight wins. They did get to the playoffs. They did get within a play of at least tying the Cincinnati Bengals, who ended up going to the Super Bowl. How much should we read into into those wins at that time of year um, under his leadership? That's where we got to look at our boy uh, Josh Dubow's Twitter timeline, right? Because he's got all the stats in the world, and most they don't really come out favorably uh, for Derek, but because. Yeah, he had all those things going on, but at the end, so that's again is the question: Is it about wins, or is it about stats? Right. Uh, football is a team game. Yep. I'm the first to stand on the hill that hey, in in fo- quarterback is the most important position in team sports. It's also the position that gets too much of the credit when things go well, too much of the blame when things go bad. It is what it is, and I think Derek will be the first person to stand up there and say that. So, a lot does have to be weighed into what they were able to pull off, but. If you were to ask Josh to, to pull up some stats, I, I would I would bet some money. And you know, being in Vegas as we are, <laughs> I would bet some money that Derek's numbers probably weren't all that good during that winning streak, as opposed to what they were earlier in the year. So what does that mean? Nothing. They won. They got to the playoffs. And it's interesting you mentioned Darren Waller because he did miss those five games, but he was also absent on that last fateful series in Cincinnati too. How he never looked at him. How he didn't throw him a jump ball against a five ten safety. I'll never understand, um, you know, and, and throwing the ball short of the sticks again to, to Zay Jones when he gets picked off at the end, whatever. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that if the Raiders had scored there and won the coin flip, they would have driven right down and scored a touchdown and gone to Tennessee. And now we're talking about, in my opinion, the Chiefs having won the Super Bowl <laughs> over the Rams. That's, again, that's just another domino theory that – we can trace all the way back to the tuck roll. It's and 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 I'll I'll say this. That's what makes winning a Super Bowl so friggin' hard. Like when you think yep. about all the variables involved and the way it could have been stopped. Heck, the Rams. If the, if a 49er defensive back holds on to an interception, it's the 49ers going to the Super Bowl and not the Rams. So it is. And it it should have been the Bills. It probably should have been 49ers Bills. There like you it go. Been in 1991. Yep. So there there you go. Old heads like you and I can pine for. No yeah. no doubt about it. All right. So we cleared up the Derek car uh, situation. We're no further uh, from finding an answer than we were when we started, but that's okay because we have all of the uh, various uh, possibilities out there, and somehow, some way, it's going to get cleared up, I would, would imagine, here fairly soon, one way uh, or the other. Uh, we're going into the scouting combine. We're going into the draft season. Free agency is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, how differently do you think this team is going to look here in about a month or so? Oh, it's going to be the Patriots West, right? I mean, it, it's got to be because that's what those guys know. And having talked to both of them at the presser and, and you know, watching them work behind the scenes, uh, that's exactly what I would expect, that type of player, uh, minus the Belichick and the hoodie overlooking everybody's <laughs> shoulders and the secrecy that comes right. with that. You know, and it's interesting you, you bring that up, and I know I, I kind of go back to Derek here, but we had an assignment uh, for ESPN a couple of weeks ago where we had to act as if we were the GMs of the teams we cover and with quarterbacks potentially on the market. Long story short, uh, our Washington reporter, John Kime, offered me a first-round pick this year and a conditional fourth that could turn into a second for Derek. So I took it. I traded Derek to, to Washington. But then I had to re-sign Marcus Mariota on the Jeep, and then I used that Washington first-round pick, number 11 overall, to draft Matt Coral. 
uh, Coral, Coral, Coral from Mississippi. Oh yeah. And Ventura, California, by the way. Yeah. So, and those are the two guys that I look, these guys kind of fit a McDaniel system more than Derek does in terms of, um, being active and, and, and being able to run around inside the red zone. So that's, you know, I'm kind of taking a a big leap here, but a logical leap looking at what this team could potentially look like going forward. Um, do I think that's going to happen? No, but if uh, me and my pseudo GM could could pull off a trade like that, I, I'm sure the Raiders are looking at things even even more um, outlandish than that. Yeah, and I'm not ruling anything out <laughs> at, at this point whatsoever, which is why we're really getting into one of the more fascinating off seasons for the Raiders, at least since I've covered the team. But I would imagine yeah. for yourself as well, because I don't think we've had uh, this type of group uh, that's in charge um, maybe forever I don't know but uh, it feels like that and so um, I think they have a lot up their sleeve and I can't wait to see uh, what cards they play uh, over this next month month and a half or so Paul I know you're going to be right there watching uh, and writing about it right along with me thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle truly appreciate it Uh, have a good one are you going to be in Indianapolis I will not, uh, but I will be at the the owners' meetings at the end of the month. All right, I will. Absolutely, I'll see you in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, uh, in uh, in in just over a month or so. Uh, Paul, thanks so much for spending some time with us, Ben. Uh, Take care of yourself. Sounds good, man. Hey, but I'll leave you with this. I I got beef with you because you didn't go after Perlman for uh, Vince Ferragamo and how how he did me dirty at SI uh, on Vince Ferragamo. But but wait, I got. I don't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that. We got. I I cannot wait to talk to you about uh, the beef. We're cool now. Perlman's my guy. We're good now. Okay. (laughs) All right. I cannot wait to hear that story. Uh, Thanks a lot, Paul. Uh, Talk to you down the road. We're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. No, I... I think I would be good on him uh, staying inside at guard. I think I would just let him get some rep, get more reps there, get more comfortable there, um, and then off you go. You know, going forward, I, you know, for for them, uh, where they're picking at at twenty two, uh, you know, I mentioned Tyler Smith. I wouldn't hate that at all. Uh, I think Penning will be long gone. You know, Cross is a fascinating one. We haven't talked about him yet. He's a little bit – I'm, I'm low on him. Like, there's guys when you when you watch him, you put the grade in early, and then you go through and you start watching more and more guys. And then as I've kind of go through this process, and I'll get a chance to circle back as I update my top 50. It's one of those guys like, yeah, you know, I'm a little hard on him. He, he I need to move him up a little bit. So, you know, there's a chance – I mean, it's probably a really good chance he's gone. Uh, he wouldn't be there when they pick, but I think he would – he would uh, constitute an upgrade there. Uh, Ryman needs a little bit of work, but I think he's better than what they're playing with at right tackle. Um, and then kind of the fascinating one would be Daniel Falele from, from Minnesota, who's he's only six foot eight, 387 pounds. But, um, you know, you look at the success that the Patriots had with a very large man, uh, that success did not uh, translate over to the Raiders. But now that you've got the Patriot people with the Patriot type player, maybe that would, uh, Maybe that would work here with the big man from Minnesota. The big man from Minnesota by way of Australia, by the way. Uh, and that was Daniel Jeremiah, uh, the draft guru from um, uh, NFL Network, uh, talking about his thoughts about Andrew, or excuse me, Alex Leatherwood. And what do you do with Alex Leatherwood? And I'm with uh, uh, DJ. I think 
you just got to keep him um, at guard and um, hope for the best and just hope that he takes that natural step forward. It's not unusual. Uh, history shows that it does happen. He's got all that you're looking for. He's a great athlete. He's smart as a whip. Um, he can move. He's strong. Um, he's got everything that you're looking for, especially at guard. I always, when I visualized him and saw him, it just felt like more guard than tackle to begin with. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but I think that the Raiders um, are be- best suited to, to keep him at guard uh, and then either go draft a tackle or bring a tackle in uh, via free agency and create an upgrade. And if, if they feel like they've upgraded at, at right tackle and Alex Leatherwood gets ba- better at right guard, I know it's a lot of ifs here, but that's what you got to do sometimes. Um, and, and, and Andre James continues his path forward, then all of a sudden you've improved a big part of your offensive line, uh, and that should help the offensive operation um, tenfold. Back, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line. Jim is in Pennsylvania. How you doing, Jim? Hey, what's up, Vinny? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, brother. Listen, I listen to every night while I'm cooking dinner. I'm over in Philadelphia Eagles country, and I hate Eagles fans. But it's <laughs> tough to live here. But I'm a huge Raider fan. A couple things. One, last week I heard you talking about Leatherwood and, Tra- and Travis Morig. You know, I think people just need to forget about the fact that Leatherwood was drafted in the first round. Like, we could have easily got our safety in the first round and got Leatherwood in the second round, right? Yeah. And it, it would be a much different story. We wouldn't be – there wouldn't be the expectations on it. Like, I don't know that Leatherwood is, is a lost cause. It was one season, and there was a lot of stuff going on last year. Like, I still think there's a good chance he could play right tackle. He showed a lot of improvement in my world. Like, I don't care what PFF says or, you know, any other experts. To me, as an average fan, or above average fan, he looked pretty darn good at the end of the season. There was some run blocking he was outstanding on. He made it a little bit of work still on his, on his pass blocking. But I think Leatherwood could certainly still be a right tackle for us. I don't think we need to give up on him, uh, you know, with – with Richie Incognito going, we we, ha- we got to get rid of him. As much as I love the guy, uh, maybe we bring him as an assistant coach or something. But he's great for the locker room, but he hasn't brought us anything in two years. So maybe we just draft a guard, somebody that can play guard and play either side. Then the other thing is I want to talk about what's with all the car hate? I, I, I know it's good for you and your show, and it's good for Paul Gutierrez, and I respect both your opinions, but the price only goes up. Let's give this guy an extension. Let's give him a three- or four-year extension. It's what he deserves. I mean, he's a winner. We no one. I, I don't know any quarterback that would have got us through what we did last year. The guy's amazing. He's a leader. And uh, you know, whether he's a forty-five million dollar a year guy or a thirty-five million dollar a year guy, let's just get it done. Let's extend the money out, and and then what way we can spend on some other people? Spend at receiver. Spend on the offensive and defensive lines. It just makes so much sense to me. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I'm actually with you uh, on, in a couple of ways, Jim. And great call. Thanks for, uh, thanks a lot. Don't be a stranger uh, and appreciate the support uh, we all do here at Raider Nation Radio, uh, whether we're talking uh, 7 a.m. Uh, with Clay Baker um, and, and the morning tailgate, JT the Brick from 12 to 2, uh, obviously Q Myers, Unnecessary Roughness, uh, 2 to 4, and my show here. We all appreciate um, the, the the support. We're all growing together. Uh, it's been a great journey so far, and uh, and it's just getting better and better and better. And we love you guys and appreciate you guys. And I'm with you on, in a couple of different ways. Number one, um, I, I'm glad you mentioned Alex and how he got better. There were there were spurts, and I can remember sitting in the press box wh- wh- here at Allegiant Stadium or out on the road. 
you know, saying to some of my colleagues, man, Leatherwood is moving some people today. And there were games where he did, where he was really um, downgraded, especially with the grades, where the penalties, whether it was holding um, or, you know, uh, the jumping off sides. And, and those are things that, you know, you hope uh, that the staff can coach people out of that. And Alex Leatherwood, that's who we're talking about. And some of the techniques, um, you know, some of the fundamentals, which are all in talking to. You know, uh, the, our great co-host, Lincoln Kennedy, those are correctable. He's got all the assets that you need. It's not time to write yourself off of, of Alex Leatherwood. This is a big year for him, obviously, and really a big offseason. I think that's why, for me, I want to know, is there a definition? Are, 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 are they defined on where Alex is going to be? Because I think it's important for him. So he knows what his walking orders are this offseason and what truly uh, to focus on. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in a good friend uh, of ours, a colleague of mine, Sam Gordon. He works with me over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. You can download our app, Vegas Nation, or go to VegasNation.com and read all of our stuff. And and, uh, Sam does a great job covering all sports uh, here in in Las Vegas. Uh, Sam, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. Appreciate it. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Vinny, anytime. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure you probably heard the tail end of the, the last caller, but uh, it always comes back to Derek Carr. And, you know, uh, back obviously drives a lot, including clicks. Uh, and it's it's that time of the season where do you trade Derek Carr, do you re-sign him? All of those things are in play and probably creating a lot of clicks for a lot of people right now. Uh, but, but Sam Gordon, we know what the options are. Yeah. Sign him to an extension, let him play this year, and then deal with it, kick it down the road, and deal with it after the 2022 season, trade him, um, all of those things. I mean, there's nothing else that you could really do <laughs> other than those three things. But I asked Paul Gutierrez this last uh, segment. I'm going to ask you, what would you do, Sam Gordon, if the choice was yours? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would give him a contract extension. And, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go overboard or make it, you know, a super long-term deal. But I think what a short-term contract extension does is it allows um, for flexibility on both sides, right? Say you let Derek Carr play out this year and he has an awesome year under Josh McDaniels and, and is, looks better than he ever has, which is in play. Definitely a possibility. Then all of a sudden, if you're the Raiders, you're going to have to pay him more than you would if you're able to negotiate something short term. Now, if you lock him into a short term extension, you, you have time to evaluate how he looks under McDaniel's, and then you also um, have the flexibility to trade him again ne- next off season uh, if, if if there's if the the new staff, the new regime decide they want to go in another direction. There's still uh, you can still generate a, quite a, a, a haul. For quarterbacks of Derek Carr's caliber, take take a look at what what uh, Philly got for Carson Wentz just last offseason. Uh, they got a pretty good haul from the Colts. And Coming off a lousy Wentz, season. Yeah, and he's not as good as Derek Carr is. So you feasibly would be able to get more value for Derek Carr than the Eagles got for Carson Wentz. I, I think that that gives you it just gives you the most the, the most flexibility uh, on both sides. And again, I'm I'm I am of the mindset that Derek Carr is a good quarterback. Um, he's not a guy that you're going to, you know, is necessarily going to go out there and win you 13 games, just regardless of who his personnel is. But he has had a revolving door of coaches, of teammates, has never had any kind of stability. Let's see what he looks like with what may be some stability um, for the first time. If you can't necessarily upgrade or don't have a plan to upgrade um, the position, the most seminal position uh, on the field, 
then I don't. It would be unwise to trade Derek Carr. What are the possible upgrades that are available this this offseason? Maybe Aaron Rodgers. Maybe potentially Russell Wilson. We'll see how likely those are. I'm not sure they're super likely. And as a result, I think I think Derek Carr should get a short term extension and let's see what he can do under this new staff. Yeah, and I don't. I really don't see uh, any. The, the the downside of that is the least of any of the options. You trade him, great. Now what are you going to do at quarterback? You don't sign him, great. Now what are you going to do if he has a great season and three other quarterbacks just drove the market up uh, even higher? Now you got to deal with that. In other words, if you sign him, Sam, and I can't imagine that he's going to play so bad that he would play his way out of being able to bring you assets if you decided to trade him, right? It's, it's, it's Derek Carr. We know what we're going to get from Derek Carr, basically, um, you know, uh, in terms of play. Do you see, like, any possibility that his level of play would fall off so much that the Raiders wouldn't be able to then trade him if they decided to trade him? I think that whatever they decide to do after next season, if he's under contract and they do decide to trade him, he'll have played well enough to get them some assets if they do go down that road. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Vinny. I think you just take a look at the production the last you know the last four seasons. Again, this was with different different personnel, different supporting cast, having to rebuild the offensive line, injuries, all that. The coaching situation. He's among the most consistent quarterbacks in the league. One of I think four or five to throw for four thousand yards the last four seasons. Uh, completion percentage over that time near sixty nine percent. He's one of the best, the most accurate passers in the NFL, and that's. You know, a lot of times under duress, right? Um, of course, the, you know, the, he has his flaws. There's been too many turnovers um, at times, but he has been a very consistent performer, and there's no reason to suggest um, that, that there would be any kind of fall off. If anything, you would think with a, you know, an offensive coach regarded as one of the best um, in football with a, with a long reputation for, for, for that, um, that he garnered with the New England Patriots, you would think that, if anything, his play would upgrade, that there's another level that he can get to with somebody of Josh McDaniels' caliber. So, yeah, with that in mind, I think if, if you do the short-term deal, that again, you have flexibility. You're still going to be able to trade him. Uh, he'll be 30. You know, he turns 31 this offseason. He'll be 32 in, in today's day and age as a quarterback. That's not old at all, um, not even close. And and there's still going to be value there. Again, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying Derek Carr um, is Matthew Stafford or whatever, but there was a that was a similar situation where uh, a, a veteran quarterback that was available that was still very productive um, at, at 32, 33 years old was still still able to fetch a big haul and, and take a team over the top. Maybe that could be Derek Carr for another team in the NFL. Uh, or that another another team feels that way next offseason should the Raiders extend him and know that they have him under contract for a couple years beyond the trade. We're ta- talking to Sam Gordon, uh, the great writer, columnist uh, now for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Congratulations on all that, my friend. Um, all right, Sam, are we overlooking uh, when we when we, when we we start assessing the Raiders' needs? Obviously, a wide receiver, you know, wide receiver one, if you want to call it that, some sort of help uh, on the offensive line, whether it's a right tackle or the two guards, whatever. There's got to be some improvements on the offensive line. Those are easy to de- detect um, and to and to focus on. But I'm looking at the defensive line, uh, Sam, and you start thinking about it. Quentin Jefferson, yeah, he was on a one-year deal. So was Jonathan Hankins. So was um, uh, Darius Phylon. So was Solomon Thomas. The defensive line was a strength last year, or at least it definitely um, provided a lift. And I think everyone's kind of assuming that that's still the case, but there's a lot of uncertainty on that defensive line right now. Um, is that an area that the Raiders need to really focus on uh, one way or another in free agency or the draft? 
Yeah, I would say so for sure. I mean, this is this that was the strength to your point, Vinny. That was the strength of the team. I think it really teed the team last year down the stretch when the Raiders embarked on the, uh, on the run that ultimately uh, propelled them into the playoffs. They were able to generate a pass rush, and part of that certainly is what they were able to do um, on the inside. So I think one way or the other, whether it's bringing some of those guys back, and they're you know they're probably do pay raises. Um, so you might not be able to keep everybody with some of the other cap moves and and and, and just the, the reworking of the team. That's that's how it goes every offseason. Teams turn over. You never have the same team um, two years in a row. But you want to keep that depth um, as much as possible, given how crucial of a, of a role they play down the stretch. Uh, it's obviously Josh McDaniels and his staff is brought was brought in to upgrade the offense and take to take the offense um, to another level. But you don't want to you don't want to take a step back on defense either. And, and of course, Patrick Graham, I think, is going to bring more upside um, than Gus Bradley did just because of the different uh, the different looks that he presents and kind of the versatility that his schemes have showed. Uh, but at the same time, Gus, Gus Bradley established a rock-solid baseline, and it's, I think it's important to at least maintain that in year one with the new regime. And, and, and part of that baseline, again, was what they were doing um, defensively, getting after the passer, to be much better uh, against the run down the uh, down the stretch um, as well. So that that defensive line again, huge strength, and I think keeps some some improved play um, at times on the back end. And you know you want this thing to be co- as cohesive as possible. And the most important uh, the most important unit on the defense is is the front, um, being able to affect the quarterback. So I think it's it's necessary to reinforce depth there one way or the other. Sam, you mentioned uh, Patrick Graham, the new defensive coordinator, and our great teammate here, Q Myers, uh, on unnecessary roughness earlier today. Uh, mentioned uh, very astutely that the defense can't afford to take a step back. There were improvements made defensively last year that in some ways really held down the fort to help the Raiders win games that in the past they would have lost without a similar defensive effort. Uh, and, and as Q said, you can't take a step back from that. You know, the, the goal would be to take a step forward from it. But at the very least, mm-hmm. you almost have to, you have to stay pat somehow, some way with that defense. But my question is, what's that defense really going to look like? Do we really know yet, do you think? Uh, and how curious are you in terms of the scheme? And do these players that are currently on the team fit that scheme? And how quickly and how successfully, if not, can the, Lake, can the, can the Raiders bring in the necessary players to execute what Patrick Graham is going to want to do on defense, defense so that, as Q said, they don't take a step back? Yeah, that's a great question, Vinny. That really is. I think the answer to that, or my answer would be in terms of what they're going to look like, I'm not sure yet, and I think I'm okay with that. I think we're going to learn a lot about how that, what they want to do defensively based on what they do uh, in terms of in personnel and in the draft, in free agency um, and the draft. Are they, are they targeting um, some, you know, some stand-up guys to rush? On the end, do they want to do they want to go um, do they want to go address more depth at defensive tackle, or do you, are you going to go for traditional three down defensive ends? Exactly, what are you going to do? How are you going to build depth, and what kind of players are you going to target? Uh, we, we know that the, the the Giants the last couple of years were, were multiple um, in the way that they attacked, so you would think that Patrick Graham is, has the ability to adapt to the personnel he has. And right now, what you had last year um, in terms of having four you know four down defensive linemen that works that worked with those guys. Uh, and that worked um, in, in that scheme. At the same time, could, could your, your pass rushers adapt to, to, to being able to stand up and rush? Uh, we'll see. Uh, you would think so. You would, you would certainly think that given the talent and the production, the way these guys have produced the last few years and the consistency, that there would be room to adapt and, and grow. And it's certainly a, a possibility, I think, worth at least exploring. And you're, that's why you have 
you know, OTAs, and that's why you have uh, a lengthy training camp. And as we came out, you know, as we learned today, a week longer for the Raiders because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. So um, I, I think that that's that's the, the money question. I don't think we need to know right now. I think that's okay that we don't know. Um, and that that it's, it's okay to kind of trust in what Patrick Graham was able to do because again I think he overachieved um, with that Giants defense and kept them in a lot of games um, when the offense was struggling and there's no reason to think he won't be able to do the same thing here in Las Vegas. Bite your tongue, Sam Gordon. We need to know and we need to know it right now. <laughs> I demand that, uh, but I'm with you and uh, I totally agree. All right, Sam, I can't let you get out of here. Uh, I know uh, that uh, you know uh, your, your Laker love uh, is is well uh, is well established. Is there enough magic in the air somehow, some way, uh, to fall on the Lakers in, in in time for them to save their season? Does it require Anthony Davis coming back? Could that turn the tide? I mean, is there still time? I guess is what I'm asking for the Lakers to get this darn thing straight to make a legitimate run. Yeah, you know, I think this is going to sound totally ridiculous given how bad they looked last night. It was, it's kind of, quite frankly, Vinny, an abominable effort by a veteran <laughs> yes. basketball team with some, you know, some of the most accomplished players um, in NBA history and some of the most accomplished role players of their respective era, right? Like, that was clearly unacceptable. But with that said, um, I think all they got to do is make the playing game. And if they're healthy by the time, by the, time the playing game comes around, uh, based on who they're probably going to be jockeying with, it might be you know some younger teams, and they're going to have veterans. I think anytime you're in a situation where you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy and 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 and, and active and playing well, that you don't want to see that if you're another team. So if they can sneak in the play-in tournament, win a game, um, and, and and qualify as the seventh seed, like that's, you, I still don't think you you don't want to see them if you're Golden State or Phoenix. Now I, I don't think they win a playoff series per se. I don't think they're necessarily talented enough to make a deep playoff run, but you would know with those two healthy, you'd probably have two of the three best players in, in any matchup, whether that be in the playing tournament or whether that be um, in a playoff series if you're able to qualify. And, and that, I think, can give Laker fans a little bit of hope in a season where uh, there's been very little of it. Other than that, if, if this team's not healthy, if Anthony Davis and LeBron are healthy, you can forget about it because the, the roster, quite frankly, isn't good enough. But if those guys are healthy, hey, throw the ball up and see what happens. It's gotten so bad that Q, as I was driving into the studio today, I heard him refer to the Lakers as the fakers. And I was like, I haven't heard that in so long. But after last night... There's some imposters playing in those Laker locker uh, uh, uniforms right now. So Fakers works, and if they need – the only way they're going to be able to change that narrative uh, is, is to get out there and start playing like the Lakers rather than the Fakers. Devon? Yes, yeah, Sam, i got to ask you, Saturday at the Chelsea, you know, we were there. Primetime Chris Colbert, he basically didn't prepare at all for the fight and got the brakes beat off of him by Hector Garcia. Do you think it was just him being unprepared, or was Hector Garcia just a better fighter? Um, yeah, great question, Mon. Very fun card, first and foremost. PBC on Showtime does an excellent job, and, and I love the, the Chelsea as a venue, very intimate venue, uh, and it was a great show. Um, but in terms of the fight, um, I think it's a combination of both. I think clearly Hector Luis Garcia was an underrated fighter who came with a game plan, who came with a plan in place, um, who wasn't worried about Chris Colbert's power, and, and Marsh basically walked him down over the course uh, of 12 rounds. I think it had Chris Colbert had more power, then you can be a little bit more effective in that style where you're trying to bang and whatnot. But he's a boxer, um, first and foremost, that uses his speed, that uses his jab, that uses his movement, and he didn't, he didn't come with that at all. He, wasn't, he clearly wasn't ready for his opponent, overlooked him, um, and it was an excellent performance by Hector Luis Garcia. I'm excited to see what he's able to do with his title shot. I, I do want to say, 
Uh, DeMond, I, I thought Chris Colbert in defeat was all class. He made no excuses whatsoever. Gave Garcia his props. You love to see that, and as a result, you hope this is a learning experience for him where he can bounce back and get back on the trajectory uh, that he was on before Saturday night. You got to love how Sam can come in here and just make an in-fight adjustment like that, DeMond. I mean, he went from talking about the right tackle with the Raiders and Derek Carr to all of a sudden in mid-fight. It was like so, it was like the guy changed from a left-handed fighter to a right-handed fighter right before our very eyes. <laughs> and, and well played, Samuel. Uh, I really appreciate it and uh, very impressive, uh, to say the least. Sam, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. You know I always appreciate it. We'll talk to you down the road, my friend. Uh, it sounds good, Vinny. Appreciate the kind words. You guys take it easy. You got it. That was Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He writes about everything, and he knows about everything, so no surprise that he was able to pull off that boxing stuff that DeMond just dropped on him uh, uh, he last was there. second. He covered the fight. No, he, and he does a great job. When I, I, I love here, I'm not great with boxing lingo, but when I hear it spoken, I love it, man. It does something to me. So, because uh, I, I grew up watching the fights, it just feels like it's kind of gotten, you know, pushed to the side a little bit. And uh, I would love for nothing more uh, than boxing to make a real strong comeback at some point uh, because it's still a great sport. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador Raider Nation Radio, 9 20 a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. There was some Raider news today. Good news. We already know who the Raiders' next opponent is, Devon Cotton. The Jacksonville Jaguars, we are sitting, we haven't even gotten through February yet. We already know who the Raiders' first 2022 opponent is. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Raiders um, were invited to play in the Hall of Fame uh, game, the first preseason game. It's always played on that now, Thursday, uh, early um, August, uh, and that's um, uh, <laughs> we, that just dropped out of nowhere uh, earlier today, uh, and it's a good thing. So a couple of things to consider about that or keep in mind about that. Remember, the NFL went to 17 games last year, regular season games that last year, so that um, reduced the number of preseason games from four to three. But just as they've always done throughout the history of football, if you play in that Hall of Fame game, you're just playing an extra preseason game. You don't get uh, – it's not like the Raiders because they're playing, um, you know, the the, the Jaguars in, in Canton, Ohio, that they still only play three games. Now they'll play four preseason games. Back in the day in 2019 when there was a Hall of Fame game before COVID hit in 2020, uh, the two teams played a fifth uh, preseason game last year. Now I'll say this, uh, talking to some Raider people, it's, it's not a bad deal when you think about it because a new staff with Josh McDaniels, um, a new offensive system, a whole bunch of changes that are going to be made, I'm sure, with the roster as well. Not a bad thing to have four um, games, four preseason games before uh, the season opener. But but beyond that, um, it also means the Raiders get to start training camp a week earlier to prepare for the, I think it's August 4th. Um, I'll get the date here, right? Is, was it August 4th? Demond, if you could get if you could look that up, I know it's a Thursday. It's the it's the Thursday before uh, the big ceremony to uh, induct 
Obviously, first and foremost, Cliff Branch, the late, great Cliff Branch, uh, and thankfully, finally guiding the honor that he so richly deserved for so many years. Yep, yep, August 4th. August 4th, Thursday night uh, in Canton, Ohio. I'll be there. Cannot wait already for that. Uh, and then on Saturday, um, uh, all the inductees, this current class of Hall of Famers, uh, finally gets enshrined, uh, get the yellow jackets, all the the whole nine yards, the bust, everything. Unfortunately, Cliff can't be there, obviously. Uh, but he'll be there in spirit and his family. I know Mark Davis talking to him about it. It was just such a, um, you know, so close to his heart. They were they were very close here in Cliff Branch. Uh, and he championed the cause and never gave up. I remember talking to him uh, uh, Thursday during Super Bowl week when when Cliff, you know, was was finally uh, and rightfully inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, talking to Mark on the phone and just the pride uh, and the and the emotion that was coming through his words was really inspiring. And he did also give credit to all the players of that era who played against Cliff Branch, who never let. Uh, the fight end and always went to bat for him over and over and over again. And and as Mark Davis said, look, man, without that support from your mean Joe Greens and all the players uh, back in those days that came to his defense, Cliff Branch, because uh, as Mark pointed out, and rightfully so, uh, who else is going to really tell that story unless it's guys that played with them or played against him or uh, in terms of coaches had to game plan against him? Those are the people that truly know the greatness if you can't tell just watching the game which that should have been um you know uh end of case uh it was an open and shut case cliff branch always deserved to be in the hall of fame but when you hear from the players that played against him and had to game plan for him or practice day in and day out with them uh they tell the full story and without that support maybe cliff doesn't go in but um, the Raiders are playing in the Hall of Fame game the Thursday before uh, the big ceremony. Richard Seymour, the former Raider, also being honored. Devon. Also, the Jaguars. Tony Baselli. Yes. Dug- I didn't because it, it took me like I went to the NFL.com to like you know yes. look at the link and get the official date. And it's like, oh, they also they also have a player that's being inducted. I think he you- might have been their first draft pick, right? He might have Tony Baselli, maybe not the first, but boy, that dude right Definitely there. Definitely the first Hall of Famer. Yes. And um right that guy was a baller. He went to USC. Just just so clean and efficient as a uh, as an offensive tackle. And USC has, you know, put out a whole bunch of uh, great ones, all the way from Ron Yeri to Anthony Munoz to uh to Tony uh and, and, and many others. Um so richly deserved for Tony Baselli. Happy for him. Uh by the way. Also, uh, we learned today uh, who are will be hosting the international games. The Jaguars, as usual, will host a game in London, as will the New Orleans Saints. Um, there's one other team. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who that third team is. But also the Arizona Cardinals are going to host a game in Mexico City, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to host the first game uh, in Germany this year. Uh, that's going to be really cool. But how does that play into the Raiders? Well, uh, the Raiders play the Jacksonville Jaguars this year, scheduled right now to be played sometime uh, during the year in Jacksonville. And they also play the New Orleans Saints uh, in New Orleans this year, as of right now. So two of the Raiders' ho- uh, road opponents are playing in Europe, in London. I don't know. Uh, talking to some people in London, by the way, in Super Bowl week, they're like, we're already penciling in the Raiders at some point. So we'll 
see if that comes to fruition. I'll be in Indianapolis tomorrow. Can't wait to check in uh, with you guys from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be a little bit later in Indianapolis, but can't wait to check in from Indy uh, on the first day of the Combine. Looking forward to that. Want to say thanks to all of our guests, Kirk Morrison, Jeff Perlman, Paul Gutierrez, Sam Gordon. Want to say thanks to Devon Cotton for all the great work he does. Thank you to the listeners and the callers. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m.